0: Good morning, folks. So we've got the reading from Micah this morning. It's quite a long reading, so bear with me. There's a lot of names in there as well. And there's parts that Micah is saying and parts where God is speaking. So um, hopefully I'll make it clear to follow along. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham ahaz and hezekiah kings of judah the vision he saw concerning samaria and jerusalem hear you peoples all of you listen earth and all who live in it that the sovereign lord may bear witness against you the lord from his holy temple look the lord is coming from his dwelling place great timing He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images, since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes they will again be used. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Beth Ophrah, roll in the dust. Pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shafir. Those who live in Zanon will not come out. beth Ezel is in mourning. It no longer protects you. Those who live in Meroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief, because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish, harness fast-horsted to the chariot. You are where the sin of daughter Zion began, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore, you will give parting gifts to Morisheth Gath. The town of Aksib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Marashar. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adalem. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bold as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it is in their power to do so. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes, they rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright? Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head."
1: Thank you for that wonderful, very good reading. Uh, If you can have your Bibles open or um, Micah open on your phones, that would be great. And we need to pray. Father, you have shown us what is good and what do you require of us but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you. And so we pray that this, uh, the next time, 20, 30 minutes in front of us, this would be an exercise in us walking humbly before you. Help us to hear your word and to take it to heart because it is your living word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the quiz night is coming, we heard from Moz. I'm going to begin with a quiz question. I'm going to read a different part of the Bible and the question is, when is this describing? You ready? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. When is this describing? People will be without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So they'll be religious, they'll have the outward signs of religiosity but it will be superficial and all the other stuff that we've just read will be applicable to them. When is this describing? last days, you're saying, it could be now, couldn't it? It could be now, or it could have described things in the first century, that's when it was written, 2 Timothy chapter 3, or in fact, it could have described very well the 8th century BC in the time of Micah. Micah was a prophet from a small country town west of Jerusalem named Moresheth. Micah prophesied during the reign of three Judean kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Good, very bad, good. Well, two out of three isn't bad, is it? Well, that's enough, in fact, to breed complacency, a superficial veneer of religion, but lacking any personal transformation in regard to the Lord. That was Israel in the time of Micah. or More precisely, Israel and Judah, a split kingdom, which together constitutes the people of God. And in the first verse, Micah chapter one, verse one, we hear that Micah's prophecy was a vision concerning the capitals of the two nations, Samaria to the north and Jerusalem to the south. It's a vision concerning the capitals. God's plans to bring blessing to the world were focused on his people, and as such, the cities of Samaria and Jerusalem are the, if you like, the epicenters of God's designs for the whole world. That's where it's going to be focused. And this means that Micah's vision about Samaria and Jerusalem has relevance not just for the people of Israel, but in fact for the whole world. Verse two, hear you peoples, all of you, Listen, earth, and all who live in it. Here is a message for the whole world. Well, what sort of message is it? Is it an encouraging message? No, it's not. Verse two. Hear you, peoples, all of you. Listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. The world has a case to answer. And the Lord is a prosecuting witness. The Lord is going to bear witness against the world. The Lord is the prosecuting witness against the world who is coming. Verse 3, look, for the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and he treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Micah's message is to all the people of the world, the message that the Lord is coming as prosecutor. Now, that is a fearful thing which calls for urgent action. This was the message that Jesus himself announced when he appeared in Galilee as the prophet at the end of time. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. There was an urgency. Jesus in his teaching returned to this theme of the Lord coming in judgment often. In other words, we cannot dismiss this theme of the Lord coming to judge as something minor, something tangential to Jesus' main message. It was Jesus' main message. And it remains so in the book of Acts and in the New Testament letters. So this message from Micah to the world that the Lord is coming, it remains God's word to us. But perhaps the biggest surprise of all in Micah is the reason. Why is the Lord coming against the nations of the world? Now we would assume that the reason he's coming against the nations of the world is because the nations are guilty. And yet verse five gives us a different reason. All this because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What's it saying? The, Lord is, is, uh, the world is being judged because of Israel's sin. And you think, what's going on there? I take it that God's people, Israel, were the high watermark of the best that humanity could be. God had chosen to make himself known to Israel and Judah. He had told them what he wants of them. He has shown you, O man, what is good. He's told them what he wants of them, so of all the people in the world, they are the best chance humanity has of getting it right. And the failure, therefore, of that group is a sad indictment upon the depravity of the rest of the world, It just shows how depraved the rest of the world is if the people that were meant to get it right cannot get it right. Israel has failed. The world is indicted. The Lord's coming with his case against everyone. And of course, the rot is most seen in the epicenters of failure, Samaria and Jerusalem. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? What's the issue? The issue is idolatry. Ahaz, the middle king, in his lifetime, he totally rejected the worship of the Lord. He literally closed the doors of the temple in Jerusalem, and he set up altars to pagan gods on the street corners of every street in Jerusalem. But even during the reigns of the good kings, Jotham and Hezekiah, people, translate, were going to church on Sunday. They were mouthing the right words, but then they were heading off during the week to worship the pagan gods in the high places on the mountain tops and the plateaus. Now we might think, well, what's the big deal? What is God's beef about this? Can't he just take a chill pill? I mean, Can't people just be free to express their spirituality in a way that's meaningful for them without being dictated by a God, frankly, who needs to relax? Well, there are three reasons. First of all, idolatry makes us less human rather than more human. Uh, Because we're made in the image of God. To worship him, that's why we're made. To be fully human, therefore, is to be connected to our creator and to be set free to worship him, not the creation. But idolatry is to swap the worship of our creator with the worship of things, and we are all prone to it. So instead of idolatry expressing our humanity, it actually corrupts us and diminishes us. 2 Chronicles 28 describes how Ahaz's worship of the god of Aram, that's Syria, involved him sacrificing his own son in the fire. What a horrific thing for a father to do! Similarly, worship at the high places for the people of Israel, which was the mountains or the ridge tops. They ritually involved men and women forsaking their faithfulness to their spouses and having sex with shrine prostitutes to better secure the fertility of their land. This is a step towards depravity. It is not an increase in your humanity, It's, it's a decrease, it's dehumanizing. So that's the first reason why God has an issue with idolatry. The second is for ourselves, idolatry limits God's blessing to us. Chapter two, verse seven, do not my words do good to those whose ways are upright? But if they're not upright, (laughs) there's no good that's done. But thirdly and most importantly, idolatry personally affronts the Lord. It is a personal insult. It is dishonoring the God who though his spirit is nevertheless real and personal. I want you to imagine what it would be like for you if you came home at the end of the day, after work or school or uni, or whatever you do, and you, you turned up in your house, and everyone in your house you knew, but they all looked through you. They didn't see you, and they didn't acknowledge you. You were saying, hi, it's me, I'm home. Guess what happened today? They just ignore you, and they respond as if you're not there. And then I want you to imagine that there was another person in the house who you didn't know, but they were walking around and they were pretending to be you. And your family, to your shock and horror, were speaking to that person, that imposter, and relating to them as if it was you, whereas when you said, hello, stop, please, you know, tr- listen to me, they just ignored you. Do you think you'd have a right to say, please stop doing that, you've swapped me for an imposter. You've got it wrong, you must treat me right. That, to the Lord, is what the nations are guilty of. Imagine you're the Lord who'd chosen some of them to make yourself known to them. You'd loved them, you'd redeemed them, you've provided for them, you've given them a land, you've prospered them, you've been patient with them, you've forgiven them, only for your special people to slip to the same corrupt idolatry as the rest of the world. The Lord is coming, says Micah. Samaria, a seat of idolatry, will be destroyed, verse seven. All her idols will be broken to pieces, all her temple gifts. I'm putting things back the way they should be, in other words. You know, those temple gifts, those token nods in my direction, they'll be burned with fire. I'll destroy all her images, since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes. As the wages of prostitutes, they again will be used. What is the right response to hearing that the Lord is coming like this? Let's be humble. The right response is to be distressed. Even for someone like Micah, who's on the right side of the Lord, even he is visibly and openly distressed. He says, because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked I will howl like a jackal. I will moan like an owl. Now, is he just being Middle Eastern here, you know? Is he just one of these fiery Palestinian types, you know, who just love being outwardly expressive, whereas we're just more a bit demure? Or could it be that we ourselves are too cold too indifferent, too hard-hearted, as if we don't think the Lord's coming in judgment is real. But if we really knew what was coming, we'd, we'd also be openly distressed, like he would be. Micah wants each person to share in his distress. It's the first sign of repentance, actually. It's what happens when you humble yourself before the Lord. In other words, you take the announcement of judgment seriously, and you take then the horror of your sin seriously, and with your heart, you turn back to him. And so from verses 10 to 16, he goes through different townships where people live, which Alexa read so well. These are the townships, the rot has spread out from the capital cities into the countryside. We can't hear it in English, but apparently, there is a play on words going on here. That some townships, their place names have a positive meaning and he says it's not going to be like that. And then some townships have a negative connotation and he says it'll be like that and even worse. You rich people of sterling, you're going to lose your pound sterling. You complacent in Lenswood, with a lens God will examine you. You nobles in Burnside, your homes will be burned. And you in Aldgate, named after that London suburb at one time, the entrance, the gate to London. Disaster is going to come through your gate. Those in Heathfield will leave their homes and fields of heath and you in Bridgewater You'll have no bridge over troubled water. When the waters come, you'll be swept away. You get the point? True? It happened to the townships in Israel and Judah. Every one of those townships came under God's judgment by either Assyria or Babylon. God's judgment fell. Could it happen here? Now, we've just had a census where people had to indicate what religion they were, And there was a no-religion box. Now that is an extremely crude measure of the godly regard for the Lord in an area. Very crude measure of that. And yet by even that most crude of measures, the Adelaide Hills, guess what, came out with even less regard for God than either the national average or even the South Australian average. And according to Micah, the Adelaide Hills are full of people who are like little girls playing in their rock pools by the beach, oblivious to the tidal wave of judgment that's about to come and sweep them away when Christ returns. Now, I have to say, when I hear myself say those words, inside, part of me wants to wince and to wish people wouldn't say things like that because they're so harsh, so extreme, Well, guess what? Micah says the right response is not to wince with embarrassment. The right response is to weep with distress. Part of us inside wants to dismiss news of judgment as kind of a hyped up overreaction and that it won't happen. But in chapter 2, we see God's judgment is not an overreaction. It is fair and it is unavoidable. So he says, just like online scammers today, who spend their time at night plotting how they can defraud people. People in Micah's day were laying awake at night plotting how they could seize other people's fields and houses, how they could defraud people of their homes, rob them of their inheritance. In other words, intentional, planned, malicious, evil, And therefore, verse three, the Lord is planning a disaster from which they can't escape, and it will be fair because those who've plotted to take fields and homes from others will be taunted when their possessions and homes are taken from them. God's judgment's always fair. When you fast forward and you read in the book of Revelation, the repeated refrain that comes up from the saints when news of a judgment falls, the the saints keep saying the same thing. True and just are your judgments. Lord God Almighty. It keeps coming up again and again. In other words, on the day of judgment, no one will say, God, you overreacted. You took things too far. Everyone will say, No, you got that exactly right. Exactly right. Well, you know, the hardest thing about this is that when this sort of news is announced, people don't listen even though the coming judgment is unavoidable and even though it cannot be written off as an unfair overreaction. Despite that, people will not listen. Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence starred alongside Meryl Streep recently in that movie, Don't Look Up. So DiCaprio and Lawrence played the the nerdy scientists, the modern day prophets of doom, right? And they take the message to the US president, Meryl Streep, That an asteroid is heading to Earth, annihilation is coming, but Meryl Streep just laughs. She doesn't listen. And neither do the people. And instead, their press um, team step into action and they, they put out this message across the world don't look up, don't look up. And of course, people don't look up until it's too late, and then they do, but it's too late. What is it about us that we want to do anything than listen to a message like this? Well, I take it that if we listen to a coming message of doom or judgment, then the little world of security that we've spent our lives building up around us, that's gonna be seen as nothing and worthless. And that's too frightening. And indeed, we'd have to face up to our sin and we'd have to do something about it, wouldn't we? Well, in Micah's day, they not only ignored his message, they became even more brazen in their sin, treating one another like enemies. Chapter two, verse eight, stripping off the robe of those who passed by without a care, driving the women of Micah's people from their homes, making things worse for them on the day of judgment. What is wrong with us that despite God sending his prophets, telling them of the judgment to come, we refuse to listen? Verse 11, if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I'll prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. Doesn't that describe Adelaide Hills to a T? Plenty of wine and beer? The best pubs in Adelaide? Just within grasp. I'd, I'd go. They're great. right? Wineries. Friends, that's not the substance of life, is it? Now, Whenever I give a talk like this, a talk, in other words, of the judgment to come, I can predict what will happen. So I've come to expect that at some point, maybe today, maybe in a week, or, someone will seek me out and tell me I shouldn't really speak like this. Because, and here are the reasons, either it's not the message that Jesus gives, or because it's not Christian, or because it will turn people away because people would just misinterpret it. Well, I can tell you it's precisely the message that Jesus himself spoke. It's hard to find a parable where the message of judgment isn't included. It's very Christian, the Apostles' Creed talks of Jesus coming to judge the living and the dead. And we need to hear it because unless people talk about the judgment to come, people are going to misinterpret the gospel. That is the news that God has sent a savior because why would you need a savior if there's nothing to be saved from? In other words, we need to hear this. The world needs to hear it. The Lord is coming. And yes, because of Israel's sin, but their sin only shows up the massive failure of the rest of us. And instead of ignoring this or or closing our ears, the right response is to be distressed. Because when judgment comes, it will be totally fair and unavoidable. And yet the sad reality is tell people that and they won't listen. So, what hope is there? Well, there is no hope at all in us, but there is hope with God. In the last two verses of Micah 2, The chapter finishes with the astounding news that after all this, God, the good shepherd, will gather his sheep. Verse 12, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like flock in a pasture. The place will throng with people. Salvation doesn't begin with us It doesn't doesn't find its base in people's inherent goodness or in people being authentically spiritual or our capacity for awareness or self-reflection. Salvation finds its origin in God, who is determined to be a shepherd of wayward sheep. God will seek out his sheep, God will gather them in and he will save them. And that, friends, is the opening message of Micah. Now, you will be pleased to know that the next two messages have a lot more of hope in them. Wonderful messages, actually. But there is no mistake nor apology needed for beginning where we have. Because in Micah's message to his own people, God is teaching us humility and he's speaking to us today. And doesn't it begin with this, with an awareness of our own sin and that there is a Lord who takes it seriously? We have to be humble before him. Well, what is the message to us today through Micah? Firstly, the Lord is coming. John the Baptist, of course, denounced the coming of the one who would burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He was speaking of Jesus. And yet when Jesus came, that didn't happen. Yet when Jesus came, He spoke of a time when he himself would come again, of when the Son of Man will come in his glory and then all the angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations, all the nations will be gathered before him and then he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats and to the sheep on his right, he'll invite them to come take your inheritance prepared for you since the creation of the world. But to the goats on the left, he'll send them away. Depart, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He spoke of it. The apostle Paul spoke of it as well. Two Thessalonians, chapter one, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well because the Thessalonians were persecuted. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. We can't ignore it. You can't say this isn't really Christian. It's part of the New Testament's witness. The Lord will come. The Apostle John opens the book of Revelation with the same call as Micah to God's people in his day to open their eyes to what is coming. So Micah says, look, the Lord is coming. John says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So the Lord is coming in judgment. That is part of God's message that still needs to be heard today. Secondly, but where are the Lord's prophets today? We are used to hearing prophets of our time. David Attenborough, a prophet the world reveres warning of impending doom, climate change, deforestation, many things to make us anxious. But who are those who speak often of the Lord who's coming to judge? I mean, no name really springs to my mind. Um, And even in the church, we go light on this, don't we? Um, Two relevant illustrations for us. Um, and please hear, I don't want to be a grumpy old man here, right? I appreciate so much the ministry of everyone in this church. But um, today we sang the second song, This I Believe. And it's a good song. I love that someone's bothered to put the creed to music. But did you notice the line that was left out? We do not sing, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Every other line's in there, but that one we leave out. It's just worth noticing, isn't it? Um, the courses we run, it's very hard to find a course which talks about this. You know, even the Alpha course, which does so many things so, so well, and we've used it here with my endorsement, but it's very, very light on this. And, uh, you know, it's hard to find a course that does everything, right? (laughs) So I don't want to dump on Alpha, but it's just interesting noting that we have a tendency to go light on what is a dominant theme in the New Testament. Well, where are the prophets? Most preachers avoid the topic. And no wonder, given the tendency of most people, emotionally at least, to, if you speak about judgment, to write that preacher off as extremist or insane. I mean, think in our culture of how Israel Folau was cancelled and crucified when he dared to speak of the coming judgment. Well, why would anyone therefore speak of the coming judgment today? Because the Lord is a shepherd and he has a remnant sheep. He has people who will hear his voice and respond. John chapter 10, Jesus responded to Jewish people who would not listen to him and he said, You do not believe because you're not my sheep. And then he said, guess what? My sheep, they do listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Thus says the words of the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. We need to speak about this because that's in fact how the shepherd draws people to himself. In my own family that I grew up in, by God's grace, entirely of God's grace, I was the first of four, four children to become Christians, all of us. First me, then my twin brother, then my older sister, but my younger brother held out. For a couple of years he refused to come to church when all his older siblings would come. What caused him to listen in the end? He heard a talk on hell. He heard about the coming judgment. And in that word he heard the voice of his shepherd calling him to turn his life around and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and he did it. Because he didn't want to go to hell. (laughs) He was one of the Lord's sheep who heard the voice of his shepherd calling him to come to him. And he trusted in Jesus as his savior. Micah has wonderful bits to come in the next two weeks but it begins today with the announcement that the Lord is coming. And this is news that everyone in the world needs to hear, especially God's people who almost uniquely are prone to the temptation to say the right words, to be superficial on a Sunday, and yet to be idolaters the rest of the week. We need to listen, and whether we do or not will show us up as whether we are one of God's sheep or those just pretending. Now, does that make you afraid? Well, it could be a good sign, actually. Jesus said the standout characteristic of being one of his sheep is that they will listen. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you're afraid, I want you to now hear the assurance that Jesus gives. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them And they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Father, give us humble hearts that will not dismiss this word but hearts that will reflect on our own lives And in repentance, even distress and tears turn to you and come to the good shepherd who laid down his life. Amen.